Welcome to A History of the Inca. Episode 57, Vilcabamba. Hello everyone and welcome once again to A History of the Inca. I am your host, Nick Mashinsky. A simple reminder to check out the show's website, ahistoryoftheinca.wordpress.com. There are pictures to go with each episode, as well as maps, if the episode calls for it. And given that we'll be talking about an area of the Andes we've hardly covered before, you can bet that there is a map to help you get oriented up on the website. So check out ahistoryoftheinca.wordpress.com if you can for this episode, and follow along. Also, get me your questions. We have a few months until this podcast comes to a close, a fact that still hasn't quite sunk in for me. But it is ending. Send me what questions you have about the Inca or podcasting in general. I'm looking forward to seeing them. Now then... Last time, the Inca launched a coordinated attack against the Spanish. Simultaneously, the Inca laid siege to Cuzco and the new Spanish town of Lima, hoping to end the Spaniards' hold on the Andes. While the siege of Lima was broken fairly quickly, the siege of Cuzco lasted for months and entailed a near-encirclement of the navel of the universe. Reinforcements sent from Pizarro attempted to relieve those trapped in Cusco, but were picked off by the Inca forces monitoring the Capacnan. A daring break by the Spanish to Sacsayhuaman demoralized the Inca, and eventually a combination of the agrarian cycle and the holes in the Inca line led to the siege being broken. Today we'll be discussing the aftermath of the siege, the retreat of Manco Inca, and the continued resistance the Inca established against the Spanish. Today we'll be talking about Vilcabamba. It was at Ollante Tambo that Manco Inca found himself immediately after the failed siege of Cuzco. The Inca ordered the town to be fortified. The menacing terraces, river crossing, and elevated position already gave the town a fortified look, but walls added to the defense. It was fortunate that the Inca decided to do this, as the Spanish sent Captain Rodrigo Orgonez to finally break the Inca. Manco sent a force out to cut off the Spanish, and the two sides met at Pasca Pampa and Pachar. The fighting was inconclusive, and both sides retired at the end of the day to their respective fortifications. The Inca were prepared to continue the fight the next day, but when they arrived on the plain, there was nobody there to fight. The Spanish had packed up and left, returning to Cuzco. It was believed that the Spanish had retreated out of fear but it is very likely that internal fighting amongst the Spanish elsewhere forced Orgonez to fall back, something we'll talk about more next episode. 
Manco continued to have Oyente Tambo fortified. Yet, when the work was finished, he delivered a speech revealing his intentions to actually abandon the now fortified town and retreat himself deeper into Andasuyu. The speech, according to the account of Titu Inca Yupanqui, doesn't reveal the specific reason why Manco Inca suddenly made this decision. In it, he mostly laments about how he allowed the Spanish to stay, that he should have not trusted them, and how the anti have asked him to stay with them, and to never forget the Inca. Elsewhere, the account claims that the Inca were being constantly harassed by the Spanish. So it is possible there was more than one attack on Ollante Tambo, and the Inca realized that he would not be able to hold out in the long run. Whatever the reason, those who could not come with the Inca were in despair and begged Manco Inca not to go. But off he went, into the darkest quarter of the former empire, and to sue you. The Inca retreat did not go unnoticed, though. Orgonez returned with another Spanish force in pursuit of Manco Inca, and with him was a powerful ally, Paulu. I will go into more detail about Paulu's relationship with the Spanish and his role as a Sapa Inca in Cuzco under their thumb in a few episodes' time. It is worth a look, but for now, know that we have yet another son of Juanacapac marching against his brother. The Spanish forces, and I haven't stated this before, but for simplicity's sake, I will be referring to them as Spanish forces, even though, at times, the makeup of the force may have had more native warriors than Spanish. It is just way easier to keep track of, but just know that going forward, a lot of these Spanish forces will contain a large number of native units, unless I state otherwise. Anyways, the Spanish forces marched towards the town of Vitcos, the gateway to the region we'll be focusing mostly on today, Vilcabamba. First, though, they needed to repair a bridge, The Inca weren't going to make it easy for the Spanish to enter the region. But after a few days, Orgonez and and Paulu were on their way once more. The horses had difficulty traversing the path, and the Inca forces did not make it easy on their pursuers either, taking their shots with arrows and slings when given the chance. Despite them losing most of their horses, the Spanish were able to overtake the Inca at Vicos and force them into a retreat. Unfortunately, the Spanish were able to capture some gold, silver, and some mummies. We aren't told whose mummies were captured here, but it may have been a revered ancestor, a Koya, or possibly even a former Sapa Inca. The Spanish could not pursue further, though. The internal fighting amongst the Spanish was really heating up at this moment, and Almagro ordered Orgonez and Paulu to come back to Cusco immediately. Vitcos was simply a stopping point for the Inca anyway. 
Mango did not intend to settle himself and his new capital there. Instead, he decided to head north to try to establish his rule at Raunta, the capital of the Cachapoyas. During a stay in the town of Orionkoi, a feast was held in the honor of the Inca. Manco ordered guards and scouts to be sent out to secure the area during the event. But not long after, some Spaniards appeared, preparing to capture the Inca. Cura Oclo was the first to see the Spanish, and came running into the town to alert the Inca. Manco quickly mounted a horse and rallied his men. Together they charged at a group of about 30 arquebusiers, captained by a young man named Via Diego. Manco Inca and a few others rode in front, lances in their grasp as warriors charged behind. The Spanish hurriedly attempted to light their wicks, but the reloading was too slow, and the Inca bore down upon them. Twenty-four of the thirty men, including Villa Diego, who suffered a broken arm and a battle axe along with several other wounds, died, and their bodies were stripped of what was valuable. Not long after this, Manco Inca decided that Raunta was too far north and away from Cusco, and that it may be better to stay closer to the former capital of the Inca, possibly raid supply lines traveling between the city and Lima. However, the Inca would also make a stop in the Jauja Valley, or what is today called the Montero Valley, to pay a visit to a people who have sided with the Spanish. Those people were the Huanca. And quite furious that they were allied with the Spanish, Manco Inca punished them for it, fighting and raiding them several times. The Spanish came to assist the Huanca, but some 50 were killed, while another force of Spaniards were defeated by one of Manco's generals. The punishment does not end there for the Huanca, though. Now, when I say Manco was quite furious at the Huanca, I mean he was seething. The Inca traveled to where the Huanca's most revered Huaca was, Wari Vilca, and captured it while killing all of the Yanacona dedicated to attend its needs. The stone Huaca is then dragged to the province of Juan Calvilca and tossed into the river. Such an extreme move against the Waka is rare. We've only seen such a move like this a few times before. Atahualpa's killing blow to the Oracle, who had been wrong, and the burning of Tupac Inca Yupanqui's mummy after Atahualpa's forces took possession of Cusco. Yes, we talked long ago about foreign Wakas being used in the foundation of monuments and being captured in battle. But the point was always to force the defeated nation to bend to the will of the victor, or to make a site all the more spiritually important. What happened to the oracle and to Tupac's mummy were done because they were the most severe punishment that could be done to an individual or group. And that is the line of thinking Manco followed, as he had Huari Velka dragged and deposited into a river. How can I exact the same punishment onto them? 
The string of defeats that Manco was able to deal to the Spanish were a huge boost to the Inca, especially after the failed siege of Cuzco. But we're going to leave Manco for a moment, because he wasn't the only one leading resistance efforts. If we peer around the Andes, there were other areas of resistance which would see their fair share of success. Well, for a time. In Koyasuyu, Manco Inca's uncle, Tizo, convinced longtime allies of the Inca, the Lupaca, to fight the Koya who had decided to ally with the Spanish. Hernando Pizarro went on campaign in this region, seeking some fortune for himself, before he was called back to Spain for a bit of questioning. We'll get into more of that next week. But the fighting in this theater of resistance took place at the Desagardo River, which, if you don't remember, flows from Lake Titicaca to Lake Pupo, to the south. While the river is more narrow as one travels south, near Lake Titicaca, the river has a deceptively strong current. When the usual bridge of reed pontoons had been dismantled, Hernando Pizarro had natives bring loads of balsa logs from hundreds of miles away and had rafts constructed to ferry his forces across. While they were being ferried over, the Spanish were met with a hail of arrows and stones from the opposite bank, which didn't bother them too much as they had their armor on. However, the native rowers were less than content about their situation and soon stopped rowing. The rafts began to drift helplessly downstream, and when Spanish compatriots attempted to ride out to assist, they began to drown their horses, for they had not realized the current was so strong, and they too had their armor on. At least eight Spaniards drowned from this event, but many were saved thanks to Paulu and the Inca forces with him. The survivors were brought to shore, and by the following night, a larger and more fortified raft was constructed. The Spanish were soon ferried over with their native accomplices, following in a flotilla of reed boats. Once on the other side, they soundly defeated the Lupaca, who were pursued across the Altiplano as they fled towards the ruins of Tiwanaku. A little later on, and a bit further south, at Cochabamba, a confederation of Chicha, Cursortia, and Pocona forces waited as Paulu approached with 5,000 men. Paulu wasn't alone, though, as Gonzalo Pizarro is said to have been with him with a small contingent of Spaniards. Initially, the confederation was winning, and the enemy was starting to flee. But similar to his ancestors before him, Paulu rallied his forces and charged into battle, which then raged on all day. Many Spaniards were wounded and killed, along with many in Paulu's army. However, the morale of the confederation eventually collapsed, and they were then forced into a nearby fortification. Not long after this, in early 1539, Gonzalo and Hernando consolidated their forces to lay siege to Cochabamba. 
Word had been sent to Tizo, the Inca general who was still operating in the area, to come to the defender's aid. With 40,000 troops assembled, the Inca made his way as fast as he could to the siege, but he would be too late. One by one, the Sinchis of the Confederation began to surrender to the Spanish, who openly welcomed them. But much to everyone's shock, Tizo, who had been a commander under Huanacapac, also surrendered. And with this, Koyasuyu was essentially lost to the Spanish. Yet there were still efforts of rebellion in Kondasuyu, where Viak Umu was leading. The Spanish, including Vincent Valverde, were admittedly impressed with the high priest's command of the native population. But in October of 1539, Viak Umu was forced to surrender. The second most powerful Inca in the Andes was now in Spanish custody. Iyatopak was leading the resistance effort north of Jauja. He approached the Cachapoyas about assisting, but they refused and sided with the Spanish instead. For at least eight years, Iya remained in rebellion, but he was eventually captured in 1542. Chichasuyu was now out of reach for the Inca. We now return to Manco Inca. His attempts to resist had become increasingly difficult. He had lost many commanders to failed resistance efforts in other parts of the former empire. Manco Inca needed to resist, but at the same time needed to survive. To carve out some sort of ability to rule and govern and still remain a viable threat to the Spanish and what they were doing in the Andes. So, with the dubious defense of Vitcos, Manco would take his contingent deeper into Vilcabamba. Let us take a closer look at what would become the last bastion of Inca resistance. Like the many settlement patterns after the Wari Tiwanaku period, sites in the Vilcabamba region were spread out with the largest on defensive ridge summits. Buildings were mainly round in nature, and the sites did not necessarily have any specific purpose, such as being a religious site or feasting area. However, this all changed around 1400, when the Inca began to move into the area. Those settlements along the ridges and summits were abandoned. New sites were created with clear functions and rectangular architecture. Terrace farming expanded, as did the number of stone quarries, as the region became more integrated into the Inca sphere. We discussed this site of Vitcos a bit, but let us give it some more context. It sits at the juncture of three valleys just north of the Andes, on the Amazonian side. A river rushes north as it goes on to feed the Amazon River, hundreds of miles away. The vegetation is thick, but there were irrigated terraces constructed by the Inca at the site. Another Inca feature was a Kayanka, which overlooks a bluff to its east. Archaeological evidence suggests that the building hosted a variety of events, such as ceremonial feasts to everyday gatherings. 
Not far away from Vitkos, though, was perhaps the spiritual capital of the region, Yurok Rumi, or White Rock. Yurok Rumi contained exactly that, a white rock at the center of the site. And when I say rock, I mean a monstrous boulder about 21 meters in length, 10 meters wide, and about 8 meters tall. There is little doubt that the rock, now darkened by lichen, was a huaca. Step-like carvings along with several proto-turbances, or nubs, are on one side of the rock, while the other side contains quote-unquote seats. A spring naturally wells up from the base of the huaca, revealing exactly why the rock was so revered. Now, for many years, it was believed that Vicos was the final capital of the Inca. Here in Bingham was adamant that it had to be. But as I said before, the site is not very well defended, and the description of Vitkos in texts did not match the description of Vilcabamba. It wasn't until the 1960s that another theory was proposed and proven that a Spiritu Pampa, or Plain of the Spirits, was actually the final Inca capital, Vilcabamba. It is unclear, even today, how large the actual site of Vilcabamba is, thanks to the jungle. Surveying is difficult without the use of LIDAR, which is expensive, and excavation is difficult due to all of the clearing that needs to take place. That and working around a bunch of tree roots. Plus the site is remote, nearly 60 kilometers, as the condor flies, away from Vitkos. Executing an excavation is a logistical feat. Fortunately, a few have been done, and this is what we know so far. There are apparently different sectors of the site. There were areas for feasting, worship, a palace, and a central plaza. A kayanka and possibly an ushnu is present, as well as a central rock that may have also been a waka. But Vilcabamba, as well as Vitkos, contained objects that were influenced from elsewhere as well. Nails, copper objects, glass beads, and even clay roofing tiles were all found in the Vilcabamba area, many at the new capital. These objects were clearly from European origin, or at least influence. The Inca never made nails. They may have been taken during raids. Copper objects and glass beads were not known in the Andes prior to the Spanish arrival and their presence in Vilcabamba are from when envoys were sent to negotiate with the Inca. The clay tiles were not made by the Spanish, but were actually manufactured locally. They lack uniformity, but contain animal motifs such as snakes on them. Perhaps, though, one of the most unique features is a building with a tile floor unlike anything ever seen in Inca architecture. There is a theory that this building was a dedicated church for missionaries that would come to live with the Inca, a topic we'll touch on in a future episode. So what was special about Vilcabamba? 
well, a few things. The Inca were obviously interested in some of the technology that the Spanish had introduced to the Andes, outside of just horses and gunpowder. And of course, the area was the site of the final Inca resistance, offering plenty of defense the deeper one entered the area. But outside of that, life in Vilcabamba resembled what life had been like in other areas of the empire. There were feasts, ceremonies, religious worship, elite residences, farming, quarries, and more. Life went on as normally as possible. Yet for all the defenses Vilcabamba provided, it wasn't impregnable, as the Inca would quickly find out. The Spanish began marching into Vilcabamba once again with 300 Spaniards. With them was Paulu, with a contingent of native forces himself. They bypassed Vitcos completely and had to abandon their horses due to the dense jungle. The invaders had several skirmishes with Manco Inca's forces as they approached the valley containing Vilcabamba. There was a sudden clearing of the jungle on a hillside called Chukwaluska as the Spanish approached the crossing of the river there. As one Spanish captain crossed the clearing with a small force, Manco's forces rolled several large boulders down the hill, sweeping three Spaniards away to their death. As this happened, Inca archers opened fire from the trees and killed two others. The front column rushed forward, but had their path blocked by an outcrop. Gonzalo and Paulu were in the rear column and fled backwards. The Spaniard wanted to retreat, but Paulu talked him out of it, saying that it would be a mistake to abandon the forces ahead of them. The invading forces were able to collect themselves and retreat all the way back to their mounts. Then they attended to their wounded, as they waited for more reinforcements from Cusco. Pedro Pizarro points out in his own account that the Inca sort of blew their ambush and should have been more patient. If they had waited to roll the boulders until the rear column entered the clearing, the entire invading force would have been in serious peril. Once again, the lack of discipline seems to have gotten the better of the Inca. As they waited, the Spanish attempted to reason with Manco Inca. Paulu and two full-blooded brothers of Curia Oclo were sent to speak to the rebellious Inca. However, the negotiations did not go well. Manco Inca was so furious at the brothers accompanying Paulu that he had the two of them executed, despite pleas from the Coya. Ten days after his initial defeat at Chukuliuska, Gonzalo returned with more forces. Inca arquebusmen attempted to use the Spanish technology against them, but they had not rammed the musket ball down far enough. As a result, the ball simply fell out of the guns when fired. This allowed the Spanish forces the time to flank the Inca's defenses. Realizing that Manco Inca was in danger, runners were sent immediately to warn him. The Inca was in the fortification when he learned of the Spanish approach 
and immediately several of his attendants whisked him away into the river flowing beside the fort and onto the opposite bank. The rest of the defenders melted away into the jungle. Gonzalo pursued the Inca's trail for about two months, but could no longer pin him down. However, the damage was done to Vilcabamba to shadow its illusion of impregnability. The Spanish marched back to Cusco in July 1539 with loot and prisoners, including the Coya Cura Oclo. She was nearly raped several times by the Spanish, but Cura Oclo was able to defend herself by covering her body with all sorts of filthy and disgusting materials so that the smell nauseated anyone who came near her. We are told that Manco again killed envoys that were sent to him, which infuriated Pizarro, so much that he had Cura Oclo stripped naked, tied to a pole, beaten by Canari, and then shot with arrows. Her body was sent down the river in a basket, where it was found by Manco Inca's men. When he saw her, Manco was devastated and openly mourned the loss of his wife. But the Spanish weren't done. They worried that the captured Inca generals and captains would defect when they learned about Cura Oclo's fate. And so, Viacumo and the rest were executed via auto de fe. On this sad note, we will leave Manco Inca in Vilcabamba for now. Instead, we must cover several events that would have a dramatic impact on the Inca and native population, including saying goodbye to a couple of conquistadors. (laughs) ¶¶ 